0: It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. With NFL free agency in full swing, the Ringer's football crew is covering all the major off-season moves on the Ringer NFL Show and on theringer.com. Also, coming this week, we're introducing our new Sports Rewatchables podcasts running across the network, where we break down the most rewatchable games in football, basketball, baseball, and wrestling. Already up on the Bill Simmons podcast feed, you can hear Chris Ryan, Joe House, and Bill Simmons discuss game six of the 2016 Western Conference Finals between OKC and the Golden State Warriors. You can check these out on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: hey 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 my taste buds my culinary comrades my hungry homies welcome we've done it it is another episode of house of it's a food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people i am your Hungry Host, Joe House, and this is on The Ringer Podcast Network. My taste buds, what a show today. We have back-to-back uh, delicious adventures to go on. Last week was wonderful. We visited Greece and we visited Indianapolis. This week we're up in New York City. We're having Chinese food. Eater.com and specifically EaterNewYork.com has done an unbelievable compendium of of Chinese food reflecting the Chinese food renaissance in New York City. Serena Dai from Eater, New York, she's an editor there, is on to help walk us through this beautiful piece of work that they've put together. And then, uh, best thing I ate this week, it's an incredible adventure in Austin, Texas with none other than Mallory Rubin you know her and love her she is the doyenne of delivery but this this week food correspondent for us here on house of carbs we're going to jump right in in fact with Mallory Rubin and hear about Austin Texas and some eating that she did there all right my taste buds our guest for today's best thing I ate this week you know her From lots of walks of life here on House of Carbs, most of the time she comes on and we're talking about places to order delivery strategies, carry out strategies. I mean, she is the queen of carry out (laughs) Uh, and and she was on just a couple months ago, uh, six weeks ago to help us with Super Bowl strategies. Mallory Rube, the executive editor at The Ringer, how are you? I'm full. <laughs> how yeah. are you? <laughs> I'm awesome. So you're on right now. This glorious moment because you were just spent how many days? Four days? Five days? Uh,
2: like 35 and a half. Three and uh, three and, and, half and a half days. We'll, yeah. We'll call it That's,
1: that's four. That's four, that's four for me. Uh, in Austin, Texas, and you were documenting the experience. You were you were you appeared on panels. You gave all of of the Games of Thrones uh, folks something uh, glorious to chew on in anticipation of the final season premiere that's not very far away. And and then you just did uh, an incredible amount of eating as documented by your Instagram. So (laughs) we had to have you uh, on um, to help us uh, understand what you just went through in Austin, Texas.
2: I mean... I don't want to overstate it or be hyperbolic, but I went through a religious transformative experience. That's what I went <laughs> through.
1: It Have was you've incredible. Been to, you've been to Austin before. No, this is my first time. Oh, yeah. Whoa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh wow! I know. Well, now I feel like I did you a disservice. I thought you were an old Austin vet. I thought this South by Southwest thing was something that just comes out of your, you know, when it's going to come up in 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 March of every year, and you're just, you know, you roll in there like the queen bee that you are.
2: This was the first time that I was fortunate enough to participate in South by, and you know, Austin has has long been on my personal bucket list of. American cities that I want to visit because, as you know, I'm a big college football fan. I've edited and worked on college football for a long time. And being in Austin in the fall for a college football game has always been one of my sports dreams. And sadly, I've just never been able to make it happen. But here it was, an opportunity to get down there, talk about Thrones, commune with my colleagues and the world, and eat a lot of delicious food. I thought Austin was absolutely incredible. It really lived up to my expectations just such a cool place, such a sincerely interesting city. great vibe, great energy, good people, great food. I saw numerous cats, just cats everywhere, which I love. <laughs> That's your thing. I love know it.
1: you had to feel right at home, didn't you? It was great. It was wonderful. So it is curious. Uh, I was going to ask you whether Austin met your expectations because it has a reputation uh, of being, you know this this uh, hipster, youthful, uh, kind of, um, innovative, kind of cutting edge, uh, but with a sensible vibe, like doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, you know, with the first time I went down there, I was skeptical. I, I, you know, I, it really has a lot built into it. Um, and then and the, the food scene, And the food reputation, you know, precedes itself. Could it how could it possibly be this good? And then I went and I was like, oh, you know what? It's it is this good. It it really is this good. (laughs) And it is cool. It's all those things that people say about it. It really is cool.
2: What was your favorite part about it?
1: So I went uh, specifically to go have an experience a many hour experience in the middle of the summer mm-hmm. outdoors at la barbecue okay which uh, at this point was um, basically uh, the a corner of a city block outdoors with picnic tables mm-hmm. with Um, two giant food trucks one where they kind of did the transactions and the other which is food truck is probably the wrong word for it but it it was an in a mobile indoor facility in which all of the brisket was being prepared it wasn't a a a walk-in oven it was like you know the hull of a bus or something i'm sure i'm getting it wrong don't yell at me la barbecue but i we ate for Probably three hours, oh my God. Uh, and that was. So I had a singular religious experience at La Barbecue, and obviously, I tried everything on the whole menu. I
2: should, I should hope so. I should expect nothing <laughs> less from you than the fully immersive experience. I'm envisioning you like taking a bath and sauces and spices at the end of the night. Just trying to, to cram, you know, leaving your clothing behind and cramming as many like ribs as you can into your carry on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but- I, did, I, did, I got to the point where I didn't want to take anything home with me. I, I do love that you mentioned the smell because one of my favorite things um, observing you and the entire Ringer crew down there, um, Jason, our, our beloved network, Jason Concepcion was uh, very fired up to eat all the barbecue he could eat. And he he tweeted out, I can't remember which night it was, one of these last few nights, about um, just smelling entirely of barbecue smoke, that every uh, part of his being smelled like barbecue smoke. And I had to tell him it made me proud. It made me <laughs> proud to hear that, that that he took on Austin, well, uh, the challenge that it presents, and, and he, he went the, the proper way with it.
2: You know, it's funny because I think one of our our shared laments at the end of the experience was that we actually didn't have as much barbecue as we had hoped we would going into it. We had a lot of other amazing food and we did have some good barbecue, but you know, the 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 sad I missed list leaving Austin was was mostly barbecue. And yet You literally just absorb the smell of the brisket and the sausage and the ribs like through osmosis, just standing next to people who have eaten it through the air. It really is like in your hair and in your skin and in your clothes at the end of the night. It's it's nature's perfume and I love it.
1: It makes me so happy. And I I did. I'll just confess this. I was there three or four years ago. I put those clothes in a bag. I took off all the clothes from the eating outside. I mean, I I sweated all the way through them because it was <laughs> the middle of the summer, and I, of course, I insist on wearing a long sleeve shirt and jeans because I'm a moron. Oh man! But I they also took on the entirety of of the that eating experience. Like I had food on the clothes. The clothes took on the smell. I kept that bag, those clothes in that bag for probably a month after I got home. Were because you like
2: huffing it, like paint fumes or something?
1: Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. That's exactly what I was doing because it smelled so effing good, and it holds the smell. The fragrance doesn't diminish. Like if you, I had them in this and in a little uh, plastic bag, it then held on for a full month, and I, I broke down after a month. Uh but here, here's the thing. I, I'm ex- so excited to hear about you feeling feeling like you just scratched the surface on this. There's no reason you can't go back in uh the fall and catch that University of Texas football game that you're dying to get to. I and and you know honestly Brian Curtis should ought to be part of this as a, as the as an emissary oh, yeah. on behalf of the universe. And, and then if that happens, then I'm inviting myself. Oh, so my God. Let's, let's, Count let me in. let's just, let's circle, let's soft circle something in the fall for this now. Uh, so that, that's our game plan for the fall hook and, horns be,
2: and hook me it, onto the back of the Veracruz tacos
1: truck. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So let's start with your, your eating experience down there. Let's get specific. Tell me what you did. So,
2: okay, here here are the here are the highlights. Uh, and a- add to the end of everything I say, also had a cup of coffee. That's the subtext of everything. <laughs> um I think the the highlights were uh, the breakfast tacos at Veracruz. Yeah. At the the migas tacos. I, I I actually like lack the vocabulary to properly articulate what this experience was like. I went with Jason and Amanda Dobbins. And this was the place heading into the weekend that Danny Chow was like, you got to get this. Chris Ryan said, this is the place we're going to try to go every morning. I only made it there once, but it was absolutely fabulous. Also, very refreshing juices to accompany your meal. I wouldn't have guessed that. Everything about it was just perfect. The flavor, the texture, the mixture of ingredients. Every bite had such perfect balance. A- every we... bite felt like a perfect microcosm of the entire experience. It was just revelatory. I
1: loved it. So let's talk about some of the ingredients. It's, it's a, Is it a corn tortilla? Flour. Flour tortilla. Handmade there on the premises, it seems.
2: Oh, I believe so.
1: Yeah. And then what ingredients? Eggs, obviously.
2: Yeah, The eggs, the tortilla chips, Monterey Jack cheese, cilantro, mm.
1: Oh, of course.
2: Tomato, onion, and avocado. And the cilantro and onion were really just expertly incorporated into every single bite. You know, sometimes you get a breakfast taco, even a really good one, and you have almost what feels like an omelet or just a chunk of the scramble put into the taco with the other yep. ingredients. And this yep. was just, it was a blend. It was, there was harmony. Harmony is the word that comes to mind when I think about oh. the Amigas. It was
1: absolutely
2: wonderful. <laughs> it was just and, wonderful. And I have and to what, tell you something embarrassing. Yeah, I want to hear it. The morning I was leaving town because I flew out Monday, I was really hungry and I had kind of mismanaged the ability to get out into the world one more time for another meal before heading to the airport, had some work to do, et cetera. Yep, yep, yep. I booted up Postmates <laughs> and I checked. <laughs> I consider it just research. I didn't actually follow through on it because there wasn't, okay. I wasn't sure I had enough time. But Veracruz is on Postmates. And let me tell you something if I ever get back to Austin, Oh I will be placing God. this Postmates order every single morning.
1: Of, I mean, of course you are the doyen of delivery. Of <laughs> course you did this. Of course you validated and verified that you have this option available to you. So this will be part. I mean, now now we have to really do this trip. We It's not just a talk about thing. <laughs> and, you know, I've been threatening our, our uh, hungry homie, Matthew Odom down there, um, writes for the Austin Statesman, has been dying to have, you know, uh, us come down and do some eating. So, this this now is a thing. And one of w- the elements of our trip, Miss Ruben, is we're going to order um, tacos <laughs> by Postmates. We have to do it. We have to. It's research. It's research. We have an the obligation. Obligation the, to check in. The culinary comrades <laughs> demand
2: it. I quite agree. I quite agree. Also, I should say it looks like there's corn tortillas and flour tortillas, but I had the flour. Delightful. Sure, you're you, a delightful you, vessel for my
1: breakfast taco. You do you. Okay, so that's one highlight. Another no, I know there's some 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 fried chicken in there. Yes,
2: that's what that's what I was going to bring up next. The the meal, Please. we had a group dinner at Gus's Fried Chicken. And this was after yeah. we did our live talk to thrones. We were all together. Oh, wow. Shay was there. It was just oh. wonderful. I have to say Shay did something that was so shocking but inspiring to me.
1: Okay. He
2: ordered a piece of pie before his meal. Like the pie was his appetizer. <laughs> It was incredible.
1: Why did he do that? He said, I want
2: pie. (laughs) It was amazing.
1: That's sure. You know, the the funny thing is, at my advanced age, at my stage of life, I now choose something savory for dessert. I have been uh, on a handful of occasions, especially at at Italian meals, ordering a pasta for dessert. Oh, yeah. uh, An extra order of pasta. But the the pre dinner pie is really put me on to something like I, I think that if i had that as an amuse bouche and you know you can call anything of any size an amuse bouche uh-huh. if, it, if it's you know starting off uh, as far as i'm concerned those are that's the house of carbs way of doing the world how about that pie to start a sweet pie right
2: Oh, yeah. He had a chocolate chest pie as his appetizer.
1: <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be any sweeter. It's a very rich pie. It was oh. it was
2: really marvelous to witness. It's an American hero, it's that incredible. guy. That whole meal was wonderful. I got the two-piece dark, so the drumstick mm. and the thigh, but I also yes. I didn't want to miss out on, on tasting what the white meat was like, so I also got a breast just as a, sure. a tack-on on the side, so yeah, I had three pieces yeah, of chicken, on. and then I got the greens, And the mac and cheese, I got a sweet tea and then I also got a piece of the chocolate chest pie, but I waited for the dessert portion of the meal. (laughs) It was wonderful. Like really nice spice, great crunch on the skin. So juicy. I, I was kind of burning my fingertips a little bit eating it, which is like... Even though it's a completely different experience, it almost reminded me a bit of eating steamed crabs in Baltimore where there's something painful about the experience, but it makes it feel so earned and worth it.
1: <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. And I, I absolutely. And so it's a testament to that particular Gus's there. We, we've been lucky enough. We had Chris Vernon on about a year and a half ago uh, to talk about some, the the, or, the Gus origin story a little bit because it, it emanated from a town in Tennessee, and there's a Gus in Memphis that Verno uh, perpetrates, and they've opened a, a, a Gus outlet here, um, just out in, in College Park, Maryland. Uh, it's the only Gus outlet that I'm aware of within you know 200 miles of my domicile. But uh, the 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 experience that you're describing of of a of an earned uh, you know y- y- the 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 heat of the temperature of the chicken coming out of the, of the fryer underneath the skin can be scalding hot if it's served kind of at the right time at the right Mm -hmm. temperature and you clearly experienced that.
2: I did. And and it was absolutely wonderful. It just felt so fresh it really makes you feel like it's been prepared for you <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> yeah. it's such a small but effective little thing to just make the the meal feel even more complete and wholesome and again you're just sitting around at the the table with the 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 checkered tablecloth and all your friends and it's 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 a small, intimate space and it's very casual, a very easygoing vibe. And then you turn your head, you know, a certain degree, a certain angle to the side to look at the door and you see that there are 50 people
1: standing there waiting to get in. You just feel very well,
2: fortunate to be sitting at the yeah, table enjoying yeah. your meal. And it was And
1: you say, wonderful. sorry, folks, you have to wait till we're done. I mean, you exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. So there's
2: a there's a Gus's in L.A. So I have, I have not tried that yet but now it's high on my list of
1: things that i i need to go sample my my, my only question before i let you move on did anybody order the fried pickles
2: we did not order the fried pickles jeff chow ordered the fried green tomatoes for the table and they were they were wonderful did not have the pleasure of sampling the fried pickles is that is that a a must try next time it has
1: that reputation and and, uh i haven't been to the one in college park maryland here i i've been holding out i i kind of promised verno That I would uh, hold my Gus's virginity for him, I would save it for him, and we would go experience. I want to experience. I'm going to get down to Memphis and do some Memphis eating uh, in 2019, and I want to get to the original Gus for the for that. You know, just just to if I'm really going to put that notch in the belt, I want it to be authentic.
2: I really support that that conviction and that commitment to crafting the perfect Gus's experience. I love it. Thank you. I can't wait to hear how it goes.
1: <laughs> okay, so we, we we've got the breakfast tacos. We've we've got the fried chicken. Uh, let let's let I know there's one more on there.
2: A C- couple more things that are, are worth oh, highlighting. A couple m- more. A couple, couple more. I want to hit the barbecue quickly and then I want to talk about the food truck scene. Yes. Uh, barbecue, I went to Ironworks barbecue. I shared a lovely dinner there with Jeff. And here's how I felt about my barbecue experience. I loved the meal that I had. I got the brisket. It was wonderful. I did leave Austin feeling like the one real mistake I made was not having more barbecue. But here's the thing. You get a lot of conflicting advice about where to go and what to do. And especially sure. if you're there for you know work, which we were. You have a busy day, busy schedule. It's it's hard to know if you can swing something like Franklin, for example. So I really wanted right. to go to Franklin. Sure. And Literally, the first thing we heard when we got there, unprompted, was our Lyft driver saying, Don't go to Franklin. The line is too long. And then basically, alternated from there, everybody we talked to and everybody we asked whether Franklin got an endorsement or a stay away. You should be going to La Barbecue or Terry Black's or somewhere else instead. We did get a lot of La Barbecue recommendations and a lot of Terry Black's recommendations. And so, Franklin, La Barbecue, and Terry Black's, those are the three where if I went back today, if I went back tomorrow, if I go back in a year, 10 years, whatever. That's like at the top of my to-do list. I have to try those places. Have
1: to. Yeah, I I haven't tried Franklin either. That that needs to be part of the experience if we really get this trip off in the in the fall. It, it just requires such planning. It's a half-day commitment because of, of, of the line. Yeah. And they're super efficient and super friendly. But everybody knows they make a certain amount of food every day. So you have to be there early enough to get into that food. Now, what we will do, again... We'll hit up the homie, Matthew Odom, and he will uh, help navigate. He will help steer us in the right direction. He'll help us formulate an itinerary and a game plan where we're able to conquer all of these things. So I don't hold it against you that you weren't able <laughs> to. I mean, you were there for for, for work. I mean, you have all, all, all of the, the the entire Game of Thrones rabid fan community waiting <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, on pins and needles. For, for the the brilliant insight you have to share you 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 had to work for those people you, you can't be off having a uh, half day barbecue experience
2: i would just like the record to state that i would happily <laughs> host a live podcast in the line of franklin barbecue happily
1: wow
2: happily let's multitask wow. you know we're all How trying to do a lot with our time let's How look for the eat? most
1: efficient course If we're together, it has to be, we, we've already had one, um, house of carbs, uh, binge mode, uh, mashup. We have, (laughs) we did a Harry Potter mashup. What, what would the, we have to think, what, what will binge mode be in the fall? What, what program? Well, we don't know yet.
2: You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But we could always dive into the culinary uh, excess of the land of ice and fire. We could go through all 77 courses that were served at Joffrey's wedding. We could talk about three fingered Hobbs' offerings up at Castle Black. All sorts of things we could do. Why doesn't Tywin Lannister like mutton? Haven't you just wondered? Not,
1: just <laughs> not the red wedding. Just, I need to stay away from the red wedding. It's too traumatic. I don't want to have that in my head before I go eat a beautiful brisket. We can focus on the purple wedding instead. (laughs) Promise. We've got it covered. So, so finally, finally. Yes, please, please.
2: Chris Ryan's favorite place in Austin, or one of his favorite places, is this bar called The Liberty. And Hmm. in this area, so this is in East Austin. There are a ton of food trucks all around the bar. And there's also a truck in the back of the bar. And this was one of the coolest things for me was discovering how many places have a truck, you know, in the back or out front or by the side. And right in that general vicinity, we had an excellent meal from a truck called Spicy Boys. We had spicy fried chicken, an amazing Ooh. chicken roti that Amanda Ooh. suggested we get. It was really, really wonderful and flavorful, portable food, fun to just eat with your hands, sit outside, have a beer. And then... In the back of the Liberty, so if you go through the back, there's this great outdoor patio area, picnic tables. You sit outside, you grab a Lone Star. And in the back of the bar itself is a truck, the East Side King truck. And this food was just unbelievable. It was basically the late night snack for us every night. And I think... All of the dishes that had some sort of chicken on top of what they called the Liberty rice, all of those were excellent. I think the best one was the the Thai chicken karage, which was uh, revelatory. I probably put I, down 10 of those over the course of those few days.
1: I was not expecting that to be part of the, the offering.
2: It was amazing. Really okay. amazing.
1: Yeah. And, and did you get any information about the chef or what uh, he or she may, may be doing back there?
2: Uh, Chris Ryan informed me that it is Paul Key's place, one of his places down in Austin. So if you watch Top Chef and saw Paul Key's season, this is one of the places that you can go sample his food.
1: Boom. Okay, there you go.
2: The only thing I'm sad I missed other than the barbecue is I've heard tell of this like legendary giant donut. Are you you familiar with this? Tommy Alter mentioned that he had a donut that was so big he almost couldn't have another meal that day.
1: Oh, well, that's that's my kind of donut. I agree. Uh, I'm not I'm not familiar. Did he name a place?
2: I, I can't remember what place he said he experienced this donut that was the size of a man, but we should this, look this up.
1: I'm telling you, we're, this this is really ripening into uh, an adventure, and I, I would be remiss. I mentioned Matthew Odom a couple of times. Obviously, uh, other, another friend of House of Carbs, Andrew Knowlton, he and his wife have opened up a hotel down there in Austin, the carpenter. Uh, Carpenters, uh, I'm going to mess up the the full name of it, Um, but they have a restaurant in there as well. So between Knowlton and Odom, we're not going to go. Not only are we not going to go hungry, but we're going to be this is going to be a highly effective takedown of the Austin food scene.
2: I I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Very, very quick cursory Google search here tells me that it might be Round Rock Donuts, but I I can't say for sure. I can't say for sure.
1: Well, we 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 have some hungry homies that can help us. I, I'm sure of it. Absolutely, Absolutely. Mallory Rubin, uh, our Austin food correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. That was delicious, and I'm starving, and I have to hang up so I can go eat now.
2: Thanks for having me on. It's been a sincere pleasure. I will dream in anticipation of both my next migas from Veracruz and my next mm. appearance on this podcast with you. <laughs>
1: Boom, there we go, my culinary comrades, as always. The incomparable Mallory Rubin taking on us on such a glorious food tour. We have another glorious food tour coming up with Serena Dye of Eater, New York. But before we get there, quick word from our pals at Carnival Cruise Line. When choosing a vacation spot, my taste buds, I'm always going wherever the best food is. You know this. So, I got really excited when I found out about all the different cuisines on a Carnival cruise. Carnival has over a dozen restaurants with entrees from all corners of the globe. If you're a world eater like I am, there we go. All corners of the globe covered. You can dine at the chef's table, for instance. You tour the kitchen. You watch the master executive chef cook up a tasting course, enjoy a fusion of flavors and different types of cuisine with wine pairings. Oh, that's a, that's a revelation. The wine pairings part, I did not expect that is very well done carnival, or you could try yourself the bonsai teppanyaki, which is an authentic kibachi with entertaining chefs. You're there for a show. Sometimes if you're there with loved ones, you know, the young ones, the young ones love the authentic kibachi with the chefs. They offer a full table side show. The experience begins with a curated selection of traditional tastes followed by tempting appetizers. And the chef is going to sit there and chop up for you the main course. You got your filet. You got a nice grilled tofu, fish, shrimp, lobster, combo, whatever you want to get into. If you're looking for a vacation that has a great variety of amazing food, call your travel agent or go to carnival.com to learn more. Taste Buds, today's show also brought to us by our pals at Robinhood. What is Robinhood? Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. While other brokerages are charging you up to 10 bucks for every trade, Robinhood is not charging any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, no account minimum deposit needed to get started so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. You can look at easy-to-understand charts and market data place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular with Robinhood. You can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of House of Carbs a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Jump in there. Look at this. Sign up at carbs.robinhood.com. That's C-A-R-B-S.robinhood.com and get your portfolio going. Oh, my taste buds, my hungry homies. What a guest today. What a show today. We're going to kick things off with the editor of Eater New York, who spearheaded an incredible piece of work published on Eater.com a couple weeks ago entitled The Ultimate Guide to Chinese Food in New York City. Everything to know about the Chinese food renaissance in the city right now. This is a beautiful piece of work. It is comprehensive. It's got five different entries of, of what to know. 10 different where-to-eat entries. It's a beautiful deep dive into all of, of what is happening on the Chinese food scene in, in New York. And let me tell you, uh, I, I, I expect for you it will do exactly what it's done to me. It has put Chinese food lust in my heart. Serena Die, welcome to House of... Oh car oh,
0: thanks for having me and i am psyched the you're psyched
1: oh uh, i i made the crucial mistake that i always make on on these food podcasts which is that i did not eat anything in 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 advance of this and we're gonna have this conversation and i'm gonna leave uh uh Wanting to go immediately to the nearest uh, the Chinese food restaurant here in Washington D.C. Now nothing. Oh man, yeah, you gotta get someone to order
0: delivery for you right now. So it's just there for you when you're out. Well, you an assistant? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Not not just order delivery. I I need to to tap into this WeChat uh, world. But we'll we'll get there soon enough. We'll get there soon enough. I want to begin at the beginning. Where did the idea for this uh, comprehensive compendium come from?
0: Oh, my God. So it started off with my mother, for sure. So my mother, she is from China. She lives in Houston. Every so often she comes to visit New York. And, you know, now that I I did this job, I'm kind of the person to pick restaurants. You know what I mean? Like, just let me choose. I know my deal. And so they come in and I'm ready to impress my parents and say, here are all these wonderful places. I'm so awesome. And I would suggest a Chinese restaurant. My parents, no matter where they are, they love to eat Chinese food. And uh, so I I would suggest a place and she would be like, "Um, but this is only number two on this chat list like are you sure this is the place you want to go and just completely owning me on restaurant recommendations in my city. Uh, and I said, what? WeChat? Why are you looking at WeChat for restaurant recommendations? And she was showing me that there, she, there's just all these articles she's looking at for restaurant recommendations. It's all in Chinese. And I'm very bad at reading Chinese. So, um, but I, I realized there's this entire world out there of uh, restaurant recommendations and information, but it's only in Chinese and it's only on WeChat, even though it's for restaurants here in New York City. Um, oh, yeah. And besides, that, our critic Robert Tsitsima has been uh, noticing that there are more and more Chinese restaurants in neighborhoods outside of our traditional Chinatowns that people typically think of, which is the Manhattan Chinatown, kind of the big place that everyone knows, Flushing, Sunset Park. Um, and these Chinese restaurants he was finding in other neighborhoods, they weren't just Chinese-American takeout spots or what people traditionally think of as um kind of your average neighborhood Chinese restaurant. They were a bunch of Chinese restaurants for Chinese people. So uh, like a roast duck place where the duck hangs in the window, that's not really a restaurant you typically see in a neighborhood that doesn't have a huge Chinese population. So that's how we kind of find out that there are tons and tons of Chinese restaurants in New York right now for Chinese people.
1: So let, let's start with that. The One of the uh, premier uh, items in the What to Know set of stories is this, uh, I, this story entitled Believe It or Not, New York City Has Nine Chinatowns? So h- how can that be?
0: Yeah, I mean, we are defining Chinatowns a little more broadly just from the restaurant perspective. We're calling it neighborhoods that have a a, a bunch of Chinese restaurants for Chinese people. Um, so typically, a Chinatown has more than just restaurants, right? There are, uh, there's a huge Chinese population. There's usually other businesses where um, Chinese is spoken there. Uh, so some of these neighborhoods um, you might not expect, like Home Crest, the populations are a little bit smaller than they are in, for example, Flushing. But besides restaurants, and bakeries and grocery stores. Um, there's a one neighborhood where the, there's a Popeye's, but the Popeye's sign is also in Chinese. Uh, just kind of ah. a signifier of how ubiquitous, ubiquitous uh, Chinese food is in New York now. So um, we're also calling the East Village a Chinatown. And uh, it's not just Chinese restaurants in the East Village, obviously. It's one of the most diverse dining neighborhoods in New York. Uh, but there are way more Chinese restaurants there now than there were in the past, in part because of this huge boom in NYU students from China. Um, and they're there in their neighborhood. They want to eat Chinese food. So there are all these super stylish, hip downtown New York restaurants in that neighborhood now, um, where they're serving foods and flavors that typically in the past you would only have found if you went over to Flushing.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned this already, this, that the, and really your, your, your mother as the, uh, uh, founding mother for, for this entire enterprise. Um, (laughs) the the use of of WeChat and I think yeah I I'll just confess it you know I'm I'm old so I had to look up what WeChat is <laughs> uh, I mean I read it in the story as as well and then did my own re- research as well WeChat the most used app in China and it's like a combination of Facebook and Venmo and what else
0: yeah um, WhatsApp uh, and uh, Voice messaging as well, uh, just everything. Everything is on it. It's it's huge.
1: Yeah, and it's so like a billion monthly users, uh, and 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 in China, and then like another two hundred million, I think, is the stat that I heard of of users of of that app, and the particular role and influence that that app has played in terms of helping this discovery process. Um, For you and your team at um, Eater, New York, again, inspired by your mom. Uh, How did that happen?
0: Oh, well, you know, uh, none of us read Chinese. So I had to find people who did, who were already integrated in the system. So I, I called out. I said, hey, I know that these stories are happening. I have ideas for them. I need people who are, already know the space really well and um, can communicate better and and and, sav- and be more savvy with the app. Um, and so I found two really, really great reporters, Shen Lu and Tony Lin. Uh, and they did two stories, focus a little bit more on WeChat for us, uh, reaching out to people who had built apps and um, Shen Lu did this story about WeChat influencers. Uh, so you know everyone kind of knows what an influencer is on Instagram or on Facebook um, or even on Yelp, Yelpers uh, El- and whatnot. Um, and so they are kind of like WeChat people in WeChat are kind of like those. If we think about it that way, they are delivering information about food, um, but only on WeChat, only in Chinese. Um, And so, uh, yeah, Shen Liu talked to these people and said, what's their business model? A lot of them get paid by the restaurants to write about them, Um, a lot like some of the influencers on Instagram. Uh, And they do ads and then they do a mixture of editorial stuff where they're doing genuine recommendations and uh, doing kind of more ad based type uh, type posts. And they have a huge following of people in New York who read Chinese and uh, maybe are came here for school and want to go out and want to eat food that uh, other Chinese people are recommending to them.
1: Yeah. So the story in which a lot of this is, is laid out is called how influencers on WeChat are driving New York City's restaurant scene. And I probably had, I don't know, four different mind blown moments, you know, if we're living in a meme world, my head left, jumped right off my shoulders, whatever that, that gif is of, of head off of shoulders. (laughs) I, 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 first of all, um, you know, the, the, the thrust of the story, none of the traditional ways that, um, the U S food consumer has grown accustomed to finding out about, uh, a restaurant scene, a new restaurant, a new cuisine, a new chef. None of those rules apply to this this uh, scene that's that has developed really under our our collective noses right there in New York City, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the the part of the another aspect of this that uh, kind of surprised me and got us to do this package is that we saw these restaurants and they were completely packed. You know, Eater's big flagship map is the heat map. And the idea is that these are cool, they're new and they're packed. You know, these are the places where all the coolest people in town are going to. And so when you walk by a restaurant that you've never heard of and you see that it's really freaking busy and new and uh, I'm like, what where did this happen? Where did this come from? And why did I, who I'm supposed to know everything, why did I not know about it? Um, and when we asked some questions, we found out it's because they were getting talked about on WeChat. So it really is this really robust market of restaurants that they are busy, they are popular, they are being talked about, they're just not being talked about by by us um yeah, of course you yeah. know when i keep saying chinese food for chinese people anyone can walk into these restaurants you and i can walk into these restaurants and not speak chinese and be fine it's just that their primary first target audience is uh people who already have a really deep understanding of their food
1: yeah and and the again uh, one of the other mind-blowing kind of aspects of the story um for me was that targeting non-chinese people was not uh uh a key element of the business plan. And that honestly, it didn't make that much sense for these restaurants to target uh, non-Chinese people because of the specificity of the cuisine and what um, the restaurateurs imagine their clientele would want in terms of the, the the restaurant experience, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think among the Chinese restaurateurs, there is still the assumption that uh, non-Chinese people aren't going to like what they're serving. And so that they'd have to do things like fried items or general toast chicken in order to attract non-Chinese people to their restaurant. Um, but one restaurateur said he's busy enough and that he actually doesn't have enough capacity within his kitchen to make sure that those things are stocked uh, for the non-Chinese people who come to, in, into his restaurant. Um, so he he do- just doesn't even have the, the room to do it. Um, and- The advertising on WeChat, anyway, is for them, it's uh, ultimately cheaper than advertising on Yelp or Instagram. And so it makes more sense because they're reaching a more specific audience and it's more affordable. Um, and beyond that, you know, some uh, part of it is that there's kind of a language barrier, right? Like we have a language barrier to read WeChat, but they some some of these Chinese restaurateurs, they have a language barrier, and uh, social media savvy. They might not understand Instagram as much, or they might not be, um, they, they might have more difficulty navigating Yelp and. Um, responding to reviewers there. Uh, So in some ways, it is just easier for them to use WeChat. In other ways, it just makes more sense business-wise. If there's only maybe a handful of non-Chinese people coming to your restaurant every day, then yeah, you're not necessarily going to have an entirely separate menu just for them or what you think they want, you know, or the assumptions historically of what people think uh, non-Chinese diners want in New York. This whole
1: sort of concept of of restaurants um successful restaurants tailored to a specific audience with a specific cuisine like that that idea makes makes perfect sense the the thing of it that um is just i'm still trying to get my head around is is just the uh fact that it's it's non-english um and i wonder how many uh, of these kinds of things are happening in other parts of the United States. Are there like, uh, it, well, I wonder if anecdotally, as you guys prepared this story, if you heard tales of, of other cities in the U.S. where folks have, have figured out a way to communicate amongst themselves and build uh, a network of, you know, kind of authentic cuisine for folks with a particular, you know, flavor in mind, and and you know the restaurants are able to be successful. Have you encountered this anywhere else, or heard about it anywhere else?
0: You know, I definitely focus most of my attention on New York, but these yeah, yeah, uh, the yeah, influencers, for example, you know, they have empires in other cities. Uh, Shenlu had talked to someone who, um, yeah, they do have a New York page, but they also have pages on the West Coast, and uh, I guess particularly urban areas within the West Coast, um, they also are still posting about information. So my bet is that, yeah, there are other cities where this is happening, and if um, you know you don't read Chinese, you might not necessarily know about it. It's just kind of kind yeah. of wild
1: my first experience in the San Gabriel Valley um, in Los Angeles, the suburb in Los Angeles uh, was in the last like 12 months or so. And uh, the liaison, the, the, the guy that was kind of our, our host, our guide for the uh, introductory experience said, you know, there there are blocks here in this neighborhood where um, people don't speak English. They speak Chinese primarily. And, Uh, if you're, you know, they may go weeks without speaking English because they don't encounter, um, you know, native English speakers in these neighborhoods, these communities. And so what you're going to find food wise is, you know, something that is, you know, out out of your, uh, you know, expectation and comfort zone. And the, the small crew I was with, we were like, yes, down for that. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I did not have to get on a plane and fly all the way. To Hong Kong to try and you know, or, or China to try and ex- experience, you know some some of this stuff. But I, I just ha- the the thing that has really struck me out of the work that you you have done in your story here is how mature this this market clearly is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is not the image of Chinese restaurants of our parents, our grandparents, where the stereotypes of what it's supposed to look like and what they're supposed to serve, that's all kind of tossed out the window. Uh, I, I, Robert had talked um, in this package about Sichuan food. Sichuan food is so popular in New York. Uh, and they, you have them in Midtown. You have, them, um, you know, like office workers go to get Sichuan food. And people, if you are like food and you're in New York, you probably know what mapo tofu is, which I would never have expected Growing up in suburban Tennessee. Um, I think it's really cool. But now there are so many of those kinds of restaurants that you have a whole range of kinds of Sichuan restaurants. You have fast casual, you have upscale, you have a little more contemporary, you can have a beer with your food. Um, there are just different kinds of access points where, it, you know, that stereotypical image of a Divey. Chinatown restaurant this is not that's it's like they don't even know what that is you know there there's so much paying attention to not just what's happening in New York City right now as far as decor goes and uh, music goes and and service style they're also paying attention to what's happening in China right now um, super super contemporary and feels very fresh and feels very lively and feels very New York
1: so what, one of the things and you referenced this uh, at the outset that has been uh, perhaps the biggest driver of um, what you characterize as a Chinese food renaissance in New York is the demographic uh, change that has occurred in terms of the Chinese immigrant population in New York. And you espe- especially reference um, the the uh, influx of young folks who are coming over for school. Uh, can, can we uh, deep dive into that for a minute?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Between 2000-2015, there was a nearly 50% jump in Chinese, foreign-born Chinese people in New York City, and these students are among the most influential of them, particularly in the East Village, uh, where there are students around there. Um, a lot of them are not only opening the restaurants; they're going to the restaurants, and these students are the same people who are writing about the restaurants as influencers, um, just like young people who uh, speak English and are and um, you know were born in the states. Uh, younger people, uh, Chinese people, are more social media savvy. Um, when we talk about the social media stuff, you know, in Flushing, some of the older restaurants are closing down and not able to compete because they're not as savvy with this this newer market. Um, so these people, they care, you, you know, you have Chinese pop music playing at some of these restaurants. There is uh, paying a lot of attention to, um, you know, street food and And uh, what kind of style they're going to have in the restaurant. Um, You know, last year, uh, a report of ours wrote about just the East Village restaurants. And a few of them were quoted saying, our parents' generation, they opened restaurants because they had to. That was the only thing they could really do uh, coming to a new country and um, the skills that they had. But us, we're we're opening them because we want to. We're passionate about food. We're interested in the industry. And we want to share part of our culture.
1: So, uh, what what is curious to me, um, in in kind of this uh, unique moment in U.S. food culture, is the way that um, that demographic you described—you know, this big influx of young folks coming over here and attending school and being interested in the restaurant scene, the restaurant culture in the city in which they've arrived. So New York City, one of, you know, the three great world cities in the world or great. Agreed. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, those folks are uniquely situated in terms of their capacity to like straddle um, a couple different social media platforms, right? Like on the one hand, you they can be immersed in WeChat and share experiences and share um, recommendations and learn about new restaurants in new york through that platform but they're also as students at 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 new york universities uh, trafficking in um you know us social media as well why do you think it is that there hasn't been this like uh that that well let me say it this way why do you think you found this story kind of first why why didn't isn't this story sort of already out there um through you know sort of traditional us youth um, social media
0: uh, i you know i don't know i guess I do, we we care a lot about food <laughs> maybe that's yeah, part of sure. it uh, we're just a sure. lot nerdy about food um i i, I don't know that yeah, I, I I don't think I think there is cross-pollination, but I guess if someone is posting to Instagram, they're not also like, hey, check out my WeChat page as well, um, just because people know their audiences. I don't think that people on WeChat expect their Instagram audience to to go download the app uh, just because it's not quite as integral to the part of daily life in New York as it is in China. Or if you um, your first language was Chinese and you're living in New York. Um yeah, you know, that's it's been around us. I think that there have been stories about WeChat. Obviously, it's such a big uh such a big app. Um, there have been stories about WeChat. There have been stories about the boom in Chinese students in New York and honestly across the country. Um, and there even us, we have written stories about uh Chinese restaurants and newer Chinese restaurants and last year we did this story on the East Village Chinese restaurants um i think what we found value in in, in doing this big package together was that it was all these elements and we wanted to make a statement we wanted to say uh, we wanted to say that New York City Chinese food uh, is is different. It is changing and we're going to put it all together so we can make this huge argument on putting a stake in the ground and defining what is going on right now. I think sometimes when the little pieces come out um, just on their own, they're, they're very interesting. I think any of these stories probably could have stood alone uh, without being all together. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it, it maybe just feels like Bigger because we just we decided to drop everything on one day and say this is I'm, it. This is what's going on.
1: I love it, and I, and I encourage it uh, as much as it's capable of being repeated. It's obviously an enormous amount of work. Uh, one one thing on the editorial side, uh, I wondered about. There is this this, and it's kind of tied to the question I just asked. Is there any sensitivity that you have to be aware of in terms of revealing? restaurants that um you know non-english speakers non-white people otherwise would not have any uh exposure to any reason to to try and and seek out on their own or is it uh because of like the great uh democratization of food and and um the exportation of of food culture um do you just you know, are you just cool with it? Like, how do you handle that? Is it, is it even a consideration? Maybe I'm making this up.
0: No, I think that can be a consideration. I think for, um, I don't know. A lot of these restaurants that we are writing about, it's, it's such a competitive market now because there are so many places. Um, I, a bunch of these places, you know, they willingly talk to our reporters. We're interested in contributing. Uh, like for our reporter Carla Viana's story for Flushing, uh, you have this woman who is control of like thousands of square feet of retail space that's completely new, did not exist before. She's a developer uh, in Flushing, and she's a huge part of that as restaurant. She's interested in bringing a new restaurant, and she wants to say, hey— um, you know, Flushing is considered this Chinatown, but I wanted to people to remember it's a destination. It's quite close to LaGuardia. And so their hope is that uh, when people get off the plane in LaGuardia, that they go straight to Flushing, that they can just stay in a hotel there, go to a cocktail bar and then just have a ton of really great Chinese food. Um, so at least for Flushing, it's changed so much and it's so modern that uh, there was kind of a and ask like they they want people to come. They want this developer in particular says, I want people to see it as a place to go and is, and you know, that you can visit and also live in these really nice apartments and uh, stay in a hotel here. Um, her name Helen, uh, she, you know, she opened this huge new development called One Fulton Square and she opened all these restaurants in it. There are three Citron restaurants in this one development with all diff- kind of different price scales and vibes and uh, different menu items. Guan Fu, kind of the most upscale restaurant within the development, got three stars in the New York Times and was the first Chinese restaurant in years and years and years to get three stars in the New York Times. So it was a, it was a pretty big deal. Um, just this idea that this is not, this is not just uh, a, a thing to go to like, oh, on, on the side. Chinese restaurant are not just like a, an extra thing to the side within New York. It's such an integral pulsing dynamic part of the dining scene that's that's everywhere and is that people are going to
1: yeah so so uh i want to put you on the spot a little bit on that on that note um one of the things that i always love about eater uh in general is the map and you know the ability to sort of at at a glance um Sort of work my way through a place that I'm, you know, that's that's not my home city, and try and come up with kind of a, a a food trail. But this thing, I have to tell you, Serena, this is it's intimidating. I mean, it's a it's a massive piece of work with you know uh, a, a number of restaurants that a that a non New York person cannot possibly try uh. and take on. So let's it's just true. say. My my next visit, if if and, and I I think I have an answer. If I fly up, the thing to do is to stop in Flushing, and maybe should I should I try the food court? Would would that be a first stop? I think the food
0: court is not a bad place to start. It's it's hard because every time I go to Flushing, I completely overeat because I'm just so excited. <laughs> I want to eat everything. Right?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're you're feeling my vibe. This is the challenge. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, there are a couple of really, really great. I mean, definitely go with bring as many friends as you can so you can share everything and get tons of stuff. I think the the New World Mall food court, probably the most famous food court in Flushing. is still a really great place to eat. There are a lot of amazing uh, stalls there. I would definitely look at our guide there because it is kind of overwhelming even just within the food court. Maybe choose one or two places there. Um, I would definitely recommend leaving the food court as well, though. Actually, one place I didn't make it in is my favorite place in Flushing is just this uh, this skewer place outside of the Chase Bank near oh. the um, near the train station. So that's my exclusive to your podcast. That place is really good. I would also get it's a skewer a, from there.
1: The train and station then- in Flushing.
0: Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's near the train. The only, the seventh stop in Flushing. There's a chase the bake, like one block away. And there's a cart that's always right outside of it. They have an amazing lamb skewer. Just get a lamb, you know, start off with a lamb skewer when you're there. Um, and then I would pick a restaurant, you know. What do you want for the night? Do you want citron? Do you want uh, soup dumplings? Do you want noodles? And then uh, make a call from there. Maybe do a couple. Oh, White Bear, I really like too. There's dumplings there. Do it a little crawl. Uh, but end it with maybe a place that you can sit down have a drink and then have a huge feast.
1: yeah, so okay that we've covered flushing if you fly into LaGuardia that's a way of tackling flushing. What if you take the train up you land in in Penn Station uh, you have a choice you can go up to Midtown you know if you have some some uh, some business or you can head down to the village, head down to the East Village between those two options, what would your recommendation be? Where am I heading?
0: If you're in a bind, the Midtown Citroen restaurants are very good. They're, you're okay. not going to have a bad meal there. But if you can, I would go south.
1: Yes, I would, go south.
0: Yeah. I would. I would go and? to this
1: village. Okay. So where am I starting?
0: So one of my favorite places is called Lacia. That's L-E-S-I-A. It is uh, based on street food. So they do, you know, like a New Orleans seafood boil where you're like, it's all spicy. And it's saucy and you're using your hands. It's like that, except the flavors are Chinese. So they have a ton of, um, they have a ton of shellfish. If you like shellfish, and those are all really good, and they just dunk in the sauce. It's just a fun place to eat. So it's if you want to, if you're with some friends, you want to talk, you want to like engage with each other. It's a very interactive way of eating, and not everyone loves eating with their hands. I happen to, and so I think that's a really place, a great place to go. Um, oh, that place excellent. is open really late at night. So if you okay. are in the East Village, go to a bar, maybe plan like a late night Lucia run, I think. Um, There's also Uh, some really great, uh, there's also a really fancy tea house that I went to recently that I uh, really loved. It's called Ulu Tea House. They have really fancy teas if you're a tea person at all. Um, And they have kind of it's kind of set up like dim sum where they have kind of these um, a version of dim sum. There's a dim sum section, but there's also all these uh, different dishes split up by regions and uh, the kind of food. Um, And everything is just really beautiful and well done. Um, I had like a jellyfish with pulled chicken dish when I was there this week. And every texture was just ideal. The service is really good. And uh, they they have like a fancy toilet in the bathroom. It's like a great spot for a date, <laughs> or oh, um, like maybe this. with your parents. I like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the desserts are really beautiful. Everyone gets like this rose lychee panacotta. You know, oh. everyone's an Instagram fiend out there. Um, I really love pretty. it.
1: Right, I'm 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 gonna let you go in a minute, but I need one recommendation. I'm a soup dumpling kind of fella. Give me your your top soup dumpling joint.
0: Oh, man, my personal one uh, I, I, I wish I need I wish I had more soup dumplings. My personal favorite is four five six. Uh, Robert who is our critic and is a far more prolific eater than me. Um, his favorite is out in Queens so maybe if you are a huge soup dumpling fiend, uh, you take his um, let me what was the name of it? Oh Yo Garden Xiao Long Bao. It is okay. in Bayside, New York. So it's kind of on the edge. It's almost close to Long Island. But it, he says it's the best. So critic Robert oh, Kitsuma, He's the prolific diner. Yeah, it's number two on the... Uh, it, it's We list our things geographically, but um, Robert has had every single soup dumpling. All, all, probably every single soup dumpling on this map. So the map from Robert, he's eaten every single thing on there and like given his stamp of approval. And, um, he thinks the yo Sialong ball is the best in New York City,
1: okay. We have Yo garden from Robert Sitsema. We have four five six from Serena Dai. Uh taste buds. I, I let let me just tell you, you now have in front of you have available eater.com, eater dot com. eater New York in particular, has done uh, this beautiful compendium of restaurants. You can, nobody can claim. to to go to new york city and have a bad chinese food experience you're you are not permitted to tell anybody that you've had a bad chinese food experience anymore because eater.com and serena die and her team robert titsma and and all the folks that they had uh together on this thing will not stand for it serena thank you so much for coming on today
0: thanks for having me
1: Boom. There we go. All my thanks to Serena Die. an incredible compendium of delicious Chinese food. It really is a renaissance. I had no idea until I got into this thing. What a beautiful deep dive. I can't recommend it enough to all of you, uh, my taste buds. I'm also going to direct you to Mallory Rubin's Instagram account, at Mallory Rubin. She has some pictures up there. The Gus's Fried Chicken is there. These, the, the Veracruz tacos are up there. Uh, I think there's some brisket up there. Get on her Instagram and check out. It's not often that she's posting food pics. Get it on there and check it out. We shall be back next week with another delicious episode. Until then, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there.